patience is so important because we're in this world that thinks everything has to be instantaneously. We want it right now. We want it right now. But that's not how God progresses. It's going to be three or four years before you have any rewards from your from your investment. So having a plan and a purpose, you know, once you get to get started. The decisions you make today, you, you may not know until eight or nine years from now if it was the right decision. We don't just walk away and wish them well. We have to do something to that tree, you know, all summer long. We want to go out and buy that eight foot tall, already producing, even better if it's already flowering because it's instant satisfaction. But it would be way better to buy that tiny little whip um, and train it up properly when we're talking about fruits for it to, to reach its maximum potential. church. I think we're doing something right when Matt leaves the stage with his voice just about shot from praising the Lord, right? <laughs> Amen. Hey, this is going to be a great morning. It already has been as we worship together, and I'm so excited to share with you today from uh, God's Word on this Father's Day. I hope that you dads in the room are having a great day. If you're a father, grandfather, father figure in the room, would you just raise your hand today? We want to honor you. Amen. Thank you, guys. I've been blessed today to have uh, my dad in the previous service, and my father-in-law is here today. So thankful for how uh, God has blessed me and uh, through his life and shown me his work through him and uh, for what he means to me and for all the dads in the room. Uh, we're so thankful for you and, uh, and so praising God for what he's doing today. Now, when we started this series called uh, Sustain, we're talking about uh, a sustainable life, like what, what comes about not just from our own power, but from the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to nurture a fruitful life. And so we've been looking at these fruit of the Spirit that are listed out for us in Galatians uh, chapter 5 in the Scripture. And we didn't like intentionally plan that like patience would fall on Father's Day, but um, there you go, Dad. See, you know, figured out my kids are looking at me like, yeah, you need patience, Dad, so it's a good thing. So... Um, before we get started today, I do want to just do what we do every week and remember that the kingdom of God is so much bigger um, than just this one church. And so uh, we believe that God is a heavenly father to every people and tribe and Italian nation all around the world. And so we lift up churches uh, anywhere we can that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and especially those in our city that are helping to reach uh, Montgomery and the River Region for Christ. And today we want to lift up and pray for Eastmont Baptist Church and the ministry that they have or just... Uh, down the road in Atlanta Highway, so thankful for how um, God is using them. I want to pray especially today for them and their pastor, uh, Frank Bowling. So would you join me in prayer as we seek the Lord for ourselves and also for Eastmont today. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are the one who turns graves into gardens. You are the one who transforms our lives, and we're so thankful most of all that you did it through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can be transformed and renewed and given life abundant and life eternal in you. And so we want to receive that from you today, Lord, and we want to lift up all those that are proclaiming your word in this place and all around the world, and especially today, Lord, we lift up Eastmont to you. We pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would increase their faith, that you would give them more of the power of your spirit, more of the fruit of the spirit, that you would increase their ministry, and that they would be used by you to bring many to Christ and to bring the kingdom uh, to that corner of Montgomery. We pray your blessing and your special favor and wisdom on Pastor Frank as he seeks to shepherd that congregation um, and that you would be with him. And now, Holy Spirit, we just say, have your own way. 
Would you move in us today? Speak to us what you will and enlighten us to understand your word and to see Christ that he might be formed in us for we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, as we've been going through this series on the fruit of the spirit, uh, I've noticed that as someone may uh, list out the fruit of the spirit, uh, there's this um, tonal change that happens. It kind of goes like this. It's like, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And, uh, you know, it's like, why do, we, why do we do that? I think there's something in us, right, that's kind of like, oh, more love, that would be awesome. Like, more love in my life would be a great thing. And more joy, clearly, that would be a good thing to have more joy in my life. And if I have more peace in my life, I mean, who doesn't want more peace? But patience is kind of like, we kind of feel like, I know I should have more of it, but I think somewhere in the back of our minds, we picture that if we did have it, it would just mean that we're um, more miserable than ever, but we can't do anything about it. Like, that's kind of our, our mindset of what patience is. And so I believe that God would want to challenge us today to maybe begin to see patience differently. Maybe it is as good of a thing to have as love and joy and peace. And in fact, I actually believe that patience is, is the hinge fruit, if you will, in this list of the fruit of the Spirit. And what I mean by that is uh, the, the first three that we've already talked about, love and joy and peace, if you think about it, if you have um, love and joy and peace, but you only have it for one day, and then it goes away, that's really not that useful, is it? And so actually what patience is, is love and joy and peace over time. So patience is just learning to have these other fruits of the Spirit extended over time. But also, we think about the fruits that are come, going to come after this, uh, kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. I mean, we can't imagine that we could possibly have those things if we didn't have patience. And so this is a hinge fruit. This is, a, this is an important thing for us to grasp. If we're going to have the whole fruit of the Spirit, we have to understand what God would have to say to us about patience today. And so uh, in order to focus in our conversation today, I want to distinguish between um, two types of patience or two concepts of patience that are found in Scripture. There's actually uh, at least two words in the Greek New Testament Um, the language that was originally written in that are translated into English as patience. And although these ideas are related to each other, they are distinct from each other, and I think it's important to understand that. The first uh, kind of patience that's talked about is sort of an external patience, a patience that has to do with the circumstances around us, that's external to us. And I think it would actually be better translated to me as endurance, because this, this word literally means to stay under. To be in a pressure or filled or difficult situation and to stay under it is what this endurance is talking about. And so uh, if I were to put it kind of in the language of our day, I would say it means to stay in the pocket. You know what it means to stay in the pocket? I, I speak to those who know college football, right? And so when I say stay in the pocket, you know what I'm talking about. The coach will call for a long pass play. Um, and so he's going to tell the quarterback, you need to, to step into that pocket that's created where those offensive linemen are going to create a protective wall around you. And you've got huge defensive guys that are coming in and they're trying to plant you in the ground. And you've got to trust that your 300-pound offensive lineman in this pocket around you can hold up against them long enough for your wide receiver to get down the field so you can throw that long pass and possibly score. Amen? I don't know. Oh, I said amen. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Um, listen, I believe that God's word to some of you today is that difficult situation in your life that you're in right now, 
He's telling you, you need to stay in the pocket. Because here's what happens, right? The quarterback feels that pressure coming. If he loses confidence in the offensive line, what's he going to do? He's going to scramble outside that pocket, and he may get a few yards running, or he may make a short pass play, but he's going to miss out on the big play that was planned down the field. And some of you today, I believe, God is calling you to have endurance because he has big promises that he's put into your life, and he wants to see them fulfilled, but you've got to be willing to stay in the place where he's put you a little bit longer and believe and trust that he has the ability to protect you in the pocket. Amen? You can say amen to that. So that's the first kind of patience, external patience, endurance. But there's another kind of patience, and that's internal patience. Internal patience has to do with how we relate to people in our lives, not just circumstances, but to the people that frustrate us or annoy us or don't always do what we want them to do. It's this internal attitude that literally could be translated as slow to get hot, slow to anger, slow, um, uh, long-tempered. You know, and so in the, in the corresponding Old Testament idea, they talk about uh, uh, this kind of a funny image to me of a long nose. And, and, and the reason for that is they, they, um, the way we would say someone is angry, has a hot head, they would say they're hot in the face. And so and, and the, the face was, you know, in the center of the no, uh, face is the nose. And so they would say to have a long temper means slow to get hot in their face. Okay, and so this is the idea that, uh, that this kind of patience has to do not so much with staying in the pocket as it does with staying in the conversation. How do we stay in relationship with people that rub us the wrong way or with people that even offend us and hurt us? How do we stay in the conversation? How do we contain anger or control anger in a way uh, that we can stay in those relationships and not walk out of them? So see, uh, what we want to talk about today is genuine patience. We want to seek after what is the genuine patience that God has for us. Uh, because as human beings, I believe that we could create the appearance of patience by containing anger, right? We can have the appearance of patience by containing anger. Here's what I mean. I think somehow in our language, we've kind of come to use this concept whenever we talk about anger or this heat that we have inside of us, we talk about it like it's a steam engine, right? And so we, we have this picture, you know how a steam engine works, you, have, you burn some kind of fuel and it makes the water hot, and as the water gets hot, it boils and turns into steam. Steam creates pressure, and then it's the job of the tank to contain that pressure and direct it in such a way that it accomplishes the purpose of the steam engine. And, and here's the problem with that. Somehow in our way we've begun to use that language. Um, you know, we talk about someone getting steamed, or we talk, we talk about having to vent our anger, or we talk about having to make sure that we don't explode. But somehow, in the way that we use that language, it's always as if we're just the tank part of that, the part that's designed to contain the steam, but the heat part of that, what actually turns up the heat or turns down the heat, we picture as outside of ourselves. We use language like, they made me angry, or he makes me so hot. With anger, So we always picture the, the source of the heat as outside of ourselves. And so all we do is we try to contain the anger. And I feel, believe that's just a false image of patience. I think sometimes when, the reason why we kind of sigh or roll our eyes when we talk about patience is we think that all, that's all that's offered to us is the ability to just, people are just going to continue to, to mistreat me, but I'm somehow just going to have to contain that inside. And honestly, that's just a miserable way to live. It's exhausting when we feel like all we're ever doing is containing how we wish we could respond. But in contrast to that, I believe God's kind of patience, the patience that God himself shows us, 
is that God has the reality of patience, not just the appearance, but the reality of patience by actually controlling anger. What I mean by that is not that God is without passion, that he's without emotion. In fact, on the contrary, throughout Scripture, we see that our God is a God of great passion. He's passionate in his love for us. He's also passionate in his anger. It says in the Scripture, he's, he's angry with the wicked every day. He's angry when there's injustice, when the, when the poor and the weak are abused. He's angry. He has emotion, but he's in control of it. He's not merely containing it. He's actually in control of it and using it in proper ways. And that's why there's a very important passage in Scripture in Exodus 34, 6, where Moses goes to God and, and he says, I want to see your glory. I want to know who you truly are. And so, and so God says, I'm going to proclaim my name, my identity over you. I'm going to reveal what my character actually is to you. And he says these words that then get picked up and repeated over and over throughout Scripture. And it's this. He says in Exodus 34, 6, Yahweh... The Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He says, this is who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm a God who actually is in control of anger. And, and I'm filled with this love and I'm marked by this compassion and mercy even in the midst of it. To illustrate how God actually controls his anger, I want to just take a few verses from Psalm 78. We can pick many different passages of scripture, but I love how these two verses are within the same chapter. In verse 38 of Psalm 78, it says this, yet he was merciful and forgave their sins. It's talking about Israel, God's people, after he brought them up out of Egypt and they continued to rebel against him over and over. It says he was merciful and forgave their sins and did not destroy them all. Many times he held back his anger and did not unleash his fury. But then later on in the same uh, chapter, it says when he's talking about Egypt, the people who had enslaved and oppressed his people and, and held them in slavery and murdered their children and the time came for them um, to be judged, it says that God, he loosed on them his fierce anger. All his fury, rage, and hostility, he dispatched against them a band of destroying angels. Did you notice that there's active language here? God wasn't made angry. He chose when to withhold and to show mercy, and he chose when he needed to release discipline on those uh, who had gone opposite to his ways. And so God has the reality of patience. And, and, and so I want to illustrate that a little bit more and kind of unfold it by looking at an area in, in my own life that um, uh, I deal with patience, issues of patience and, and anger sometimes, and that's with discipline. You know, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, uh, fathers, don't provoke or exasperate your children. To, don't, don't cause them to be angry by how you treat them, but, but raise up your children, nurture them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Have a kind of discipline that's like the discipline of God. And in Psalm uh, 103, it says um, that uh, as, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So he's pictured as a father with his children. So I want to look at this ideal. My kids are sitting here looking at me like, like I know this is not going to be, I'm not going to tell you how I've always done it, but this is the, this is the goal or the ideal that I strive for when I'm uh, having to discipline my kids. And more importantly, um, this is a picture for me of how God works with us. And so um, on the opposite side of your notes there, you'll see this discipline checklist. And the first part of that is to be slow to anger. To be slow to anger means this has to do with what do you actually do before you get to the moment of discipline. So often we kind of get haphazardly to a moment of discipline. We have to ask ourselves, what did I do before this 
to prepare for this uh, moment of discipline. And part of that is to be slow to anger. That has three parts. It means we have to have clear expectations, contextual instructions, and ample warning. In other words, um, sometimes I uh, might want to go to discipline my kids, but then I realize, you know, they didn't do the thing that I was expecting them to do, but I have to ask myself, did I actually communicate very clearly what it was that I was asking them to do? I remember, you know, when I was a kid, my mom would tell me, clean your room. And then she would come back later and she'd be like, why didn't you clean your room? And I'd be like, I did. See, there's this little stack of, of books right here that used to be on the floor, but then everything else in the room, you know, was still a mess. And she'd be like, no, that's not what I meant. So she would have to clarify the expectations. What is it that I'm looking for when I tell you to clean your room? And then there also has to be contextual instructions. If this is my expectation for you, do you actually know how to do that? So when I tell my son, hey, I want you to cut the grass, I can't just say cut the grass. I've got to go show him. How do you actually use a lawnmower? How do you use a weed eater? How do you do these processes that I want you to do? So there has to be contextual instructions. And then finally, Ample warning, you know, many chances to, before we switch into discipline mode or punishment mode, to reinforce that teaching. What I'm telling you is that this is how God deals with us. It's how he's always dealt with his people. So many times I hear people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is just such a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is the God of grace. And I just, I feel like those people haven't actually read the Old Testament because when you read the story all the way through, and you look at the whole narrative, God over and over is showing mercy and grace and love and his dealings with his people and how he disciplined them. And, and the first is he did give them clear expectations. People complain sometimes, oh, God had so many laws for the people in the Old Testament that they had to keep. So many laws. Have you ever counted how many rules you have to give to little children? Like you tell them, like, don't hurt your brother or your sister, right? Don't hurt them. And they're like, oh, okay, punch them in the face. Oh, okay. When I said don't hurt them, what I meant was don't punch them in the face. And so what do they do? When you tell them not to punch them in the face, they you know, kick them in the knee, right? So, oh, okay, when I said don't punch them in the face, I also meant don't kick them in the knee. Okay, well, how about pinching? You know, so you have to add rules. And so when God has all these rules in Scripture, it's not that he's this angry God waiting for trip us up with rules so he can pounce on us. He's giving us clear instruction on what his expectations are and contextual instructions on how to do it. And he also gives ample warning. People say, well, I read the Old Testament, and it's just full of so many you know, messages of doom and God's judgment coming. Yeah, that's not an evidence that God of the Old Testament was, was, was so angry. It's an evidence of how merciful he is, that over and over, when his people were disobeying him in major ways and rebelling against him, he kept sending warnings to them. He kept sending prophets to them. Even when they would kill the prophets, he would send more prophets to warn them, to try to get them to repent and turn back from him because it's not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should repent and come to, come to have life in him. And so God is a God who gives warning after warning. And I've had to learn that myself. Sometimes I think, well, am I giving too many chances or too many second chances or too many warnings? But then I think about, well, how does God deal with me? How many second chances has he given me? How often has he given me warning before you brought discipline into my life? The second part of that is to reject rage. And this is in the moment when we actually decide, okay, we do have to have discipline or punishment. By reject rage, I mean don't become overwhelmed with emotion alone, but have reason. In fact, when we, when we um, begin to discipline or punish, we should be actually more thoughtful, more intentional, more strategic uh, than even in the time leading up to that and how we teach our kids. We should have 
a plan for how we discipline. That means that we're, not, we're disciplining for correction. We're disciplining to actually fix the problem, not just for revenge, not just to express my feelings about the fact that you didn't obey, but I'm actually doing what I'm doing to help you be corrected and to have a better outcome for you after the discipline than where it was beforehand. It also means that the punishment has to fit the crime. They have to think through, how can I discipline in a way that you begin to see the natural consequences of your action and the punishment isn't arbitrary, but it's tied into um, the, the, the sin or the... Um, the disobedience, and then also to watch my tongue. I have a tendency to be sarcastic, and it would be very easy for me to say things in a moment of discipline or a moment of anger that um, would last in their and my kids' memory long after the moment of discipline has passed. You know, remembering, oh, Dad said, you know, you're always a mess up, or you're always this, or something like that. It's so we have to watch our tongue when we discipline, and this is how God disciplines us. I love what Hebrews 12 says. It says, "For the Lord disciplines those He loves." And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, of course. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. You see how God, even when he disciplines us, he's not thinking just about the present moment. But he's saying, I want this peaceful harvest. I want this fruit that's going to come later in your life. It's the afterward that he's thinking about. And everything about how he disciplines us is motivated by his mercy and his love for what he can bring about in our life through that discipline, not just that moment. And then finally, the third part is to be quick to forgive. To be quick to forgive means that we have to have a clear pathway for repentance. Kids have to know like, if you're disciplining me, how do, I, how do you want me to respond? How would you know that I've repented, that I've said I'm sorry, you know, that for whatever it was that I've done? What's the pathway to repentance? Are you just going to be angry forever, or is there a way for us to resolve this? And then to communicate forgiveness explicitly, to actually say the words, I forgive you, you are forgiven, it's done. So they know the discipline's over. And once it's over, then to look for quick opportunities to encourage and affirm, to look for that chance to hug someone or to, to laugh with them, to do something fun together. I have to be um, honest that in, for many years in my own parenting, I don't know how I got this idea, but I think I felt like um, when I disciplined my kids that, that I had to like maintain this sort of stern attitude towards them for like 24 hours or some vague period of time, like to prove you know, that you were really in trouble or so you really make sure you learned the lesson. But then I found that that was bleeding over into the way that I was relating with God. That I would confess sin, and I would know that Scripture says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would theoretically know I was forgiven, but there was something in me that was like, but I can't actually experience the closeness of God. I can't actually experience the love of God. I can't actually experience the embrace of God unless maybe I have to you know, kind of do the right thing for a certain amount of time after that confession, before I could feel right with God again. But, but I began to see that's not what Scripture says about God at all. Isaiah 12, 1 says this, In that day, in that day you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord, because you were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. God loves as soon as possible after discipline. He loves to bring us back into relationship, to, to embrace us, to show us things that will show his comfort towards us. And I just want to say to you this morning, if that's been you, if you feel like your, your mindset of God, for whatever reason, is, yeah, I know in theory that he's forgiven me, but I don't feel like I've been good long enough yet for him to embrace me, 
That's not scripture. That's not truth. And I pray that you would be set free this morning to know that God wants to comfort you, that he may have brought discipline into your life, but it was for your good, and he wants to embrace you and draw you close to himself. He's not waiting some certain amount of time where he's going to be angry with you. He wants you close to him. And so as we look at these images of how God deals with us as a compassionate father with his children and, and, and as one who actually controls anger and uses it only for our good and is so quick to show mercy and forgiveness and love, then I think the natural question is, well, okay, so how do we learn that kind of patience? How can I get that kind of patience in me? How do I learn it? And, and, and to answer that, we need to go back to the distinction I made at the beginning between endurance and patience. Endurance, that external kind of remaining in a difficult situation, it, has, it doesn't have anything to do with sin. It's just um, it's about building our faith. The only way to learn endurance is through time and testing and trust. God puts promises into our life. He speaks good things over us. And then we see this over and over in Scripture. He gives promises, and then he puts someone in a position to wait for those promises, to wait through a season, maybe in the wilderness, to wait through even a painful and difficult season because that is where our faith grows as we continue to trust in him, that his word is true, that he's going to be faithful, he's going to come through with his promise so that when he does, then we, our, our, our faith is strengthened through that. So endurance comes from time and testing and trust. But sometimes I think we've, we've misdirected our understanding of how we learn endurance and we've applied it to how we learn this other kind of patience that I'm talking about, that internal patience in the way that we relate to people. And we, we've kind of had this idea, well, I guess I have to learn patience by practice. In fact, it's even like a joke. Don't, you know, don't pray for patience or God's going to send like really difficult people for you to work, deal with. Well, first of all, there's always difficult people so that you don't have to wait for that. But also, I just honestly believe that we do not learn patience by practice. We don't learn patience by practice. And first of all, part of that is just me observing. I've just observed when I see impatient people, more time, when you take an impatient person and give them more time with a difficult person or someone that annoys them or someone they don't get along with or someone who doesn't do things the way they want it done, more time does not make them more patient. They just get more and more impatient. In fact, when I'm an impatient person, I will find a reason to be offended with you, even if you don't do anything wrong. Impatient people find more and more ways to get offended. I don't believe that we actually learn that kind of patience through practice, because here's, here's what happens. Remember, I talked about that false patience that's not genuine, that, that, just, that human ability to just contain anger. You know, through practice, my human ability to hide my anger may increase. My human ability to not explode on you may increase. But it's just, I'm just internalizing it. And it's coming out somewhere. And it's, and it's miserable on the inside. And like I said earlier, it's exhausting. And I love what Pastor Chris said in the very first message in this series when he said, when we're walking in the Spirit, the message for all of us is, you don't have to live that way. That's not all that God has to offer. See, I don't think we learn patience by practice. Instead, what I think happens is we become a patient person and then we put that into practice. Now, that may just sound like semantics. It may sound like I'm just playing with words, but I actually believe there's a huge difference between the two. See, when we try to learn patience by practice, we're trying to take our human ability and increase it with skill and time and training. But when we say, I'm going to become a patient person, and then put that into practice. Here's what that looks like for me. 
there's an old kin. Okay, there's an old person. The Bible calls it the flesh. The me apart from Jesus Christ. The me ruling my own life. The me running my own uh, life my own way. Me ruling on the throne of my own heart. My old kin is arrogant and stubborn and self-centered. And when you cross that person, he's not patient with you. Now, I'm more of an introvert, so I'm probably not going to explode on you, and I can get really good at hiding it from you and being passive-aggressive and smiling at you. But that old person is not getting more patient with practice. However, I believe, according to Scripture, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he not only paid for my sin, but he actually took that old person and he crucified him. He put him to death on the cross. Galatians 5, 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is not a gradual process. See, impatience is really just pride bumping up against other human beings. And I don't believe that God deals with pride gradually. He wants to nail it to a cross. And what Jesus did for me is he took that old person and he crucified him. He dealt with him once and for all. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't just him coming back to life. Scripture says he actually initiated a new creation. And part of that new creation includes a new kin. There's a new version of me that actually is already a patient person. And what God wants to do is by faith, and the power of the Holy Spirit show you that person. And then the practice for you is how do you walk, so walk day by day by the Spirit so you will continue to be that person. But it comes to you not by gradually getting more and more patient, but by, by believing that Jesus has already created a patient version of you and receiving it because God is patient with us. It's who he is. If he's our God, we're going to be transformed into his image, into his likeness. We're going to be formed more and more like him. And so Jesus has already made the way for that to happen. He's already created a patient person. I've seen glimpses of that in myself where there's days when I see a kin who is a patient person and I operate in that and all of a sudden it's not striving and effort and gritting my teeth to be patient. It's happening because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in me and Christ is living in me. And I've seen it in others who walk in the Spirit and they just live with the same kind of patience that mercy and that grace and that truth and that slow to angerness, the same description that we saw of God is, is true of them because of the power of Jesus Christ. And I think it's simply a matter of faith when we say, oh, well, maybe someday I can be patient. We're not believing God because he's already done the work and he's calling us by faith to believe that he can create that patient person in you today before you leave this room if he hasn't already. You know, I told you earlier that this word in Scripture for patience has to do with the face of a person. When I was uh, growing up in church, the thing we used to do is, you know, if you wanted to do business with God, you'd come down to the front of the steps like this, and we called it coming to the altar and getting on your face. And there's been many moments in my life when I've grown in my, in my walk with the Lord because I came and got down on my face before God in worship. And it's not a coincidence, I don't think, to me, that the, the primary way that this word face 
in the Bible is used besides talking about anger is talking about a person that falls on their face in worship. Because here's what I believe. When you get on your face before a holy God who is infinitely patient with you in giving himself through his son Jesus on the cross to shed his blood for you, when you get on your face to worship him, as we worship our patient God, he will form in us that patient character just like his in us. And you can go to him today. So as the band comes to lead us in a moment of response through worship, my prayer would be whether it's at an altar like this or at the altar of your own heart where you're sitting, that you would take this moment to respond to the Lord and say, Lord, I want it today before I leave this place. Would you show me by faith what you've done for me in your patience, how you've created a patient person in me through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that I can walk in that today. So Heavenly Father, speak to us now. Thank you for your patience with us. Move in our hearts that we might see that you are ready to create the fruit of the Spirit in us, not by our ability, but by your power, for it's in Jesus' name.